Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today I have Nick Malazzo. I'm sorry if I butchered that, Nick, as you were listening to this, but Nick is from examine.com. I'm really excited to have him on here because examine.com is a website, um, it's a database, it's a platform, it's it's a, a resource that I've been literally using for over a decade. So they've been in the game for quite some time, and they have been the leading source of information when it comes to supplementation and research on nutrition and supplementation for a really, really long time. Um, specifically, Examine is the largest database of nutrition and supplement research on the internet. Literally the largest database on the internet. Think about that. The internet's a pretty fucking big place if you didn't know. And they are the leading and the largest database for this kind of information. And they were founded as a, a company that literally just wanted to put out more evidence-based information for people to make the right decisions for their health, training, supplementation, nutrition. And it kind of just, from what I could tell, snowballed into this massive database where coaches around the world and health enthusiasts around the world they go there for a resource for free information to help them better understand supplementation and nutrition, but they have expanded upon that and now they have a membership site as well. So you can pay a very low price of what I will add as well to get even more information, research reviews, uh, tons of guides. Their platform of guides is absolutely insane um, and so much more. So Nick is the, the guy in the website that actually reviews a lot of the research and creates the content from the research. So we had him on to discuss how to interpret research as a healthy enthusiast and a coach, what kind of research we should be looking for, and what the best supplements are for health, performance, so on and so forth. Um, on top of that, they also gave us a coupon code. So if you are interested in actually using their membership site, and no, I don't get any kickback for this or for having them on. I literally asked them to come on. Um, I, I love what they do. I've been using them forever, and I was really excited to get them on. So the fact that they're doing this is just super cool. But as a listener, you can get a 30% discount on their memberships uh, site to get all of the things we were just talking about, the research reviews, the articles, the guides, so on and so forth. Every single month they're updating this, putting out new information, new research reviews, new guides, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's already cheap. So 30% off of that is just nuts. So uh, you can head over to examine.com. Oh, I'm sorry, examine.news slash tailored life. That link is also in the description of this podcast. So you can just click that, go there, sign up now. Um, but nonetheless, we will get into the episode. I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this. I really enjoy talking to him. And again, this is a website I've been using for over a decade, and I highly recommend you guys check it out because it is the one-stop shop for finding useful information about supplements and nutrition. So without any further ado, let's chat with Nick Malazzo from examine.com. All right, Nick, I'm excited to have you on, man, because I've been using examine.com for uh, I don't even know how many years now. Um, and I remember, I, I've said this multiple times to people. Um, I know I was a, I knew I was kind of a geek with this stuff when I was bored. I would go to examine.com and just read supplement research and just read about things. Uh, and it's been such a valuable tool for me um, as a coach. I'm excited that I got to uh, be a part of like the beta testing for the new stuff as far as um, the new you know, research view and the membership and, and the, I mean, the amount of guides you guys have in there is insane. So we'll get a chance to kind of tell people what you guys are up to because it's just the, the value inside there kind of blew my mind to be honest with you. But, um, it's been an invaluable tool for my entire coaching career. And I've been coaching for now over a decade because it's literally the, the only place that I can think of that you can get any piece of information on supplementation that you could possibly think of. So I'm, and I'm going to give my, a little bit of my definition of what I think examine.com is, and then I'm going to let you uh, as well. But from my perspective, it, it's basically an encyclopedia for coaches, for anybody really. But I've yet to not find a supplement that's there, right? Like that I need to research or, or consider taking or consider for a client. Or I'm just generally curious about, because as we know, there's so many things that come out that are like, uh, very hyped up with marketing and so on and so forth. And you can just go, well, I'm going to, you know, cross check this with examine.com and you can realize, oh, this is, that's actually bullshit. It's really not that valuable or holy shit, there's some, there's some evidence here. Like, let me dig into it. Um, and the way you guys lay it out is so amazing. And for the people listening, what I'm talking about right now is literally 100% free. That's the mind blowing part. Um, that's the free part of the website, which is so valuable. So, um, but Nick, what I want you to kind of, uh, explain and introduce yourself with is really what examine.com maybe was to you 
and how you see it now and then how you got involved in it within that timeline of discovering it. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again, by the way. Um, but yeah, so basically I actually thought your description was pretty good. Um, in my opinion, the best way to describe examine is basically as a database or an encyclopedia of research on supplements and nutrition. Um, for people who aren't familiar with it, I usually like to compare it to Wikipedia, um, not in the sense that it's uh, edited by the public, but just in the sense that like, if you've got a quick question about something, like you can just pull it up and answer. Um, and that's actually how I got involved. Like I started as a user. Um, I started lifting when I was like, you know, 17 or 18 and I wanted to get strong and I wanted to get big. And, you know, I had all these friends who were like, oh, bro, like, you know, you got to take whey protein or like, oh, like you got to take creatine. Like creatine is literally pure energy, man. And like, I knew enough to kind of go like, well, I'm not sure if that's quite the way I would describe it, <laughs> but um, I didn't know more than that. So my first experience um, interacting with Examine in any way was as someone who wanted to know what creatine was and whether it was worth taking and stuff like that. Um, so stepping back a little bit and just kind of talking a little bit about me personally, um, I would just say that, you know, generally speaking, like my kind of attitude is that I'm obsessed with figuring things out. Um, and that takes a lot of different forms, but professionally, it's been mostly focused around health. Um, so, you know, I studied, uh, I studied biochem and chem in undergrad, and I studied uh, medical science in grad school. Um, I studied public health. And so to me, it's just interesting to sort of say like, okay, well, there's this big world of knowledge out there and new knowledge is being generated every day. Um, and in a lot of ways, like we're not actually limited by the amount of information that's present um, because there's more information than any person could re realistically go through. We're limited by our ability to process that information. Um, so the main value uh, as, as I see it with examine is saying, Hey, like there's this big, crazy world of nutrition and supplement research. Some of it's really good. Some of it's really bad. There are people who are trying to do good things out there. There are also people who are trying to mislead you. Um, and we're going to sort of take it all in, put it together and process it into something that's both true, comprehensive. Well, that's true and comprehensive and written in plain language. Um, cause we have a lot of different people who use our site. Some people it's professionals or clinicians, um, but it's a lot of lay folk as well. So from our perspective, it's like, well, whether you can't read the primary literature because you don't have the time or because you don't have the um, prior knowledge, it doesn't matter. Like finding ways to communicate this stuff in simple terms is, um, is the goal. And, and that can be appreciated by a pretty large audience. Um, so in terms of what examined was in the past, um, it's always sort of been that it's always followed this kind of mission of taking in this information, information, processing it and delivering it to people. Um, most importantly, in a way that's completely free of bias. So like we don't take any, we don't take any money from outside companies. Um, we basically just support ourselves on the membership that we, that we provide. Um, but in the past, the kind of structure of the company and the structure of the service we provided was a little bit um, different. We focused mostly on building out pages and providing supplement guides and stuff like that. Um, and it, it worked really well. People really appreciated it. But um, since um, I guess probably around 2020, we've also added in this research digest element, um, which I'm the editor of, and it's called study summaries. Um, and so that's part of our, that's part of our paid thing. Um, so a lot of the sites free and accessible, but one of the things you get if you pay for it is this uh, research digest that covers 200 new studies every single month all written in like short, punchy, plain language um, for people who are looking to kind of stay on top of things. Um, dietitians tend to like it a lot, but um, we also have a lot of people that just like, you know, they're really curious to know about like, well, what's going on right now with fish oil? What's going on right now in the world of like audio, autoimmune disease nutrition research? And so people kind of pull that in. Um, yeah, so that's sort of like me, that's examine. Um, yeah. And, and as you alluded, uh, we have some big, we have some big things coming. We're uh, going to do a full redesign of the site. Um, it should be ready around the end of July. Um, and it's going to be crazy. Like it's not only is it different in terms of how we structure information from just like a technical perspective. Um, but it's also going to like be a complete revamp of how people navigate the site, how people access information. So, um, it's going to be a lot of new stuff, but it's also going to be easier access to the stuff that currently exists. I love it. I love it, man. Um, it's something I, I, you know, I was going to wait till towards the end of the podcast for this, but since you brought up the research part and you being the editor, I think we can kind of tackle this part first. Yeah. Um, I often, I, I mean, we, 
record a podcast. We do a YouTube. We have a blog. Who I, I write for. So does our chief science officer. Um, he has actually re- conducted research, and he's part of a research review, um, weightology, um, and uh, and we often recommend yours, mass, like all these different ones. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I get questions all the time about how do you go about taking this research and making content out of it or taking this research and actually applying it to your coaching and do it, so on and so forth. And I often tell people, I will discover a research study, oftentimes not by myself. I usually find it through one of you guys, but even when I do hear about it or find it myself and I go to the, the actual source, before I create anything, I usually go through a filter of lenses and those lenses are people like yourself people like the cso on my team people like the guys over at mass and i think it's important to utilize research reviews and things like this because interpreting research is difficult i've been in this industry for a decade as a coach i'm not a researcher so it is different but outside of being a researcher i would say a practitioner and somebody who is an avid study uh, somebody who is studying this constantly probably the next best person to try to interpret this kind of stuff, right? And it's still extremely difficult. It is very difficult. And a lot of people aren't humble enough to admit that, but it's just a fact. Um, So I'm curious, you know, where do you find that? I mean, first, what advice do you have for people with this stuff? Like, obviously, you can say, like, plug away and say, like, just become a member and just read this, you know. (laughs) But um, what's your goal with that in helping people? Because I think it is something that's so important for people to understand because you can misinterpret something and get a completely different conclusion than what actually happened, especially inside of training, nutrition, or supplementation research. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so so to me, kind of the problem statement, well, there's a couple big problems. So let's not go with a problem statement because it's probably a little bit too big. But the kind of suite of issues that, you encounter to me can be broadly classified into a few different bins. Um, so the first bin is focused around um, sort of the actual truthfulness of the information that you're reading and the uh, sort of intentions that underlie it. So when you talk about like research that's being conducted by, you know, um, a supplement company and really all they're looking for is to, ideally say like, oh, well, we conduct, we conducted our own study and it showed that our supplement was affected. That's effective. That's kind of the ideal, but sometimes it's just as simple as being able to say, Hey, like this was studied and like, never mind that it was us and never mind that the findings weren't good. Um, so there's kind of like the, there's kind of this category of issues around like, well, is this person actually being honest with me? Um, and is this study actually meant to be providing good high quality information or is it serving kind of an ulterior motive. Um, That's one of the hardest ones to deal with, in my opinion, because short of like looking at conflict of interest statements and things like that, it can be really hard to, to tease that stuff out because, you know, uh, you know, a a researcher doesn't necessarily have to, you know, they don't have to state in the paper, like, by the way, our goal of doing this is to make you want to buy this product. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, things like checking for study pre-registration. So to see if they stated um, the, design of the study and whether or not they, um, and, and what they planned on testing prior to actually conducting the study, that can be really helpful. And then obviously checking for conflicts of interest can be really helpful. Um, another kind of interesting category to me is talking about like, well, how does this study fit into the broader, uh, body of evidence that's been built up around the subject? Um, so, you know, if you think about something like fish oil, like there is a lot of fish oil research, um, and there's a lot of, you know, high quality fish oil research. So if you said like, well, let's just for the sake of simplicity, rule out all the studies that are, um, that were conducted with bad intentions and have, you know, horrendous conflicts of interest and whatnot. Um, and we focused only on studies that in terms of like how they were constructed and who constructed them and the intentions underlying the studies construction were good. You still have this issue of like, well, they can vary a lot in terms of the characteristics, right? Like, the population can vary, the dose can vary, the type of, you know, thing provided, the type of intervention provided can vary. Um, so, you know, you might have like a fish oil blend with a lot of EPA, and then maybe there's one with not much. Mm-hmm. Um, the study design can vary. So you could say, okay, well, is this a cohort study or is this a cross-sectional study or is this an interventional study? Um, how many layers of blinding were performed? So, you know, like we could kind of go, we could go on all day about this particular thing because it's like, well, I guess, you know, a, a study could vary in, in innumerable number of ways. Um, but generally speaking, when it comes to navigating this type of research, um, as someone who's just like totally green going in, 
I would say try to stick to interventional research, look for large numbers of participants, look for long durations of interventions. So prefer a study where they did 16 weeks of measurements as opposed to one week of measurements. Um, large doses, um, this isn't always true, but like a large dose can often be more likely to produce an effect than a small dose. So you might be able to see stuff that's subtle if you have larger doses applied. Um, that can also be that can also be useful. But yeah, it, it really does vary. And especially when it comes to this stuff, um, the kind of most obnoxious, but I think probably the most truthful answer is just like, you've got to know a lot about how research is done and you have to read a lot of research um, to build your own kind of context and to be able to, you know, use kind of the shared knowledge of the scientific community and stuff like that. Um, so I think that, you know, what you said of kind of finding some people you really trust and then at least sort of vetting a study against them. I think that's a really good strategy. Um, and, and yeah, like, you know, the guys that the guys who do mass, um, they're awesome. They do really high quality stuff. Um, you guys do high quality stuff. And so, yeah, overall, I think that when it comes to talking about actual study design type stuff and study methods type stuff, um, looking for experts or seeking to become an expert yourself is probably, is probably the best thing you can do. Um, and then when it comes to like, just dealing with a large volume of research, I would say um, if you're not a person who's capable of gaining a lot from reading a method section, um, it's, it's okay to skip that stuff. Like I would generally recommend like a normal person who doesn't have a ton of prior knowledge, um, you know, read the abstract, read the introduction to appreciate why they're doing this and to kind of see if it makes sense to you. You know, sometimes people try to justify research in a way where you're sort of like, really, I don't, I don't know if this is a question you really need to ask. Um, and then look at the results that see kind of the numerical stuff and then look at the conclusion. Cause that's usually where they talk about how stuff fits into the bigger picture. Um, you know, if reading the method section is very important, but ultimately I would say, um, if you're, if you're not, uh, if you don't know a lot of statistics or you're not familiar with methods in a certain body of research, um, and you don't expect to become one, um, either through formal or informal means, um, you're probably best off just not worrying too much about it. And, for better, or for worse, you know, kind of trusting what, what you see on the page um, and then looking to others to see if that's sort of supported. And also always remembering that like great, great results should be a cause for concern and not excitement. Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. most stuff is subtle. Right. And, and I would always say like, unless it's duplicate, and this is why like most people who I follow and respect, they'll say like, oh, you know, that's, that's great. The results are great, but I want to see it again. Like yeah. let's duplicate those results in another study doing the same thing. Let's let's duplicate the study. Um, a lot of really good points, and this is where like I think I I, I want to support people like you, and I want to just tell people to just invest the money because the truth is 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 like if I and for people listening, I literally make zero dollars on telling you to buy examine stuff, but I just think it's very valuable, and I just appreciate what you guys do. Same with Mass, I'm not affiliated with them whatsoever, but I think there's I think it's great. Like I pay yeah. them, that's why. <laughs> so yeah. Um, awesome. But I think that it's like the people listening to this podcast, whether they're a coach or an avid health gym training enthusiast, which it's always one of the two, uh, most of the time are, they're not concerned with the method. So I'm glad that you said that because they don't really care enough about exactly the finer details of what they did to produce the result necessarily. I just want to know like, what was the purpose? what they try to do? What was the result? Um, I do think, you know, mentioning like the discussion and stuff like that is important because sometimes if you just read the result, it's different than what you hear the researchers or the interpreters talking about in the discussion. Um, but a lot of times I think it's, it's just so much more valuable to pay for a subscription that gives you research reviews because if you can get your hands on a full paper, number one, some papers to not just get the abstract, you actually have to pay anyway. So allocate that money to a better place. And then number two, by the time I could read through a full, like if I go to ResearchGate and just like plot through a full study and actually really try to articulate myself, I can read three research reviews on three different subjects and get way more out of that. And the interpretation from those individuals is going to be at a higher quality than mine is. So I think it's just so much more valuable to be able to go to a place like your guys's and take what you guys have interpreted the research as, because there's been plenty of times where I thought I, I thought I understood. And then I talked to Dr. Brandon Roberts is the uh, CSO on our team. Who's actually been a writer of your guys's in the past. And, uh, and he'll literally be like, no, that's not, that's not a hundred percent it. It actually, and he'll, kind of explained to me in a different language. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense. But 
there's so many things inside of it that you won't understand unless you literally go study the art of studying research, like literally learning to learn how to read research, right? Um, yep. So I think that's super, super valuable. And then the other thing, you, you talked about conflicts of interest, and I think that's important because um, there's a couple examples I'll give, and then you can kind of give your thoughts on it. But um, I remember reading uh, something on, it was a while ago, it was on uh, Journal of International Sports Science Nutrition, J-I-S-S-N, I think it was, um, way back. And it was about a pre-workout. It was basically like, uh, it was a study on pre-workout and basically said it was like the best thing ever and it was a great result and all this stuff. And uh, the the research was funded by Bang, which is a mm-hmm. pre-workout company. So then I was kind of like, well, that's weird. You know, of course it's going to be amazing if they're, they use their product and they funded it. Um, but there's also been, and I don't even know if it's published yet. I just know that it was going on, but Grant Tinsley was creating, uh, doing a study that was funded by Legion Supplements. And shout out to Legion for doing this because I think it's a really cool study, but it's it's a pre-workout study that was basically with their stimulant base versus their non-stimulant base. So either way, I mean, they're going to win and lose. Like if this non-stim is the exact same as the stim, like it doesn't really benefit them, but it doesn't like hurt them. But it's just like general information that is funded by them using their product, of course. But that's a that's a funding that's not really a conflict of interest. It's actually just helping us decide, like, do we really need all that caffeine within it or is it things outside of that that are really beneficial as well um or are all those things white noise and caffeine is really just the magic there um you know so i think it's it's really important to to like actually look at that part because sometimes it is conflicting and sometimes it's not um but that's something that a lot of people don't look at because it's like the credits at the very very bottom of a study yeah yeah so i think that your discussion of the of was it legion the the, Mm -hmm. their study um i think that's a pretty like mature um, and, and well, you know, well-rounded way to kind of think about conflicts of interest, right? Because like, you know, there was this, it, I, well, not, I think now we're just going to end up bringing, stronger, bringing up Stronger by Science a lot, but um, I was listening to their podcast and they talked about one particular time that like the authors of a study that had a conflict of interest were like, no, 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 it's not a conflict of interest. It's a confluence of interest. And it's like, and it's like, well, the thing that's hard about it is that like those things are kind of true at the same time, right? And like, it emphasizes the fact that like a conflict of interest doesn't necessarily need to be like active in the sense that it's directly influencing the findings um, in order to be something that's worth noting, right? Just by virtue of existing, it kind of creates that problem. Um, And I think that like, you know, you do have to be realistic, right? So, you know, if a company, if a supplement company wants to figure out their, um, you know, which of their supplements, you know, whether they're pre-workout with, stimulants or their pre-workout without stimulants works better. Like you might not be able to secure like NIH funding for that, right? Like you might have to fund that kind of work yourself. And that's true with a lot of, with a lot of companies, like either the research group has, um, doesn't have the resources and they need to, you know, they need, they need some way of conducting this research. Um, or there's, you know, a company with a very specific question in mind. Um, or, you know, there's a company that says like, Hey, well, you know, our business is making, um, you know, like we, we are, uh, I don't know, we're the, we're the, we're the cherry board of America. And like, our goal is to get people to consume cherries and we're curious to know what could, what cherries are good for. Um, so, so I think that unfortunately you really do have to take it on a case by case basis and just accept the fact that like, sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and a big part of that is not only going to be doing your best to understand like the nature of the conflict of interest and, you know, the relationship that the researchers have um, and the degree to which, um, you know, the industry was involved in the, in how the research was conducted. Um, But also just kind of like looking inwards and saying like, well, you know, um, if I am already committed to buying a certain supplement brand and they offer two products and they say, Hey, here's a peer reviewed study on these two products compared like that could actually be like a totally awesome thing um, and totally useful and inform your purchasing decisions in a way that, you know, it's like, yeah, the company wins either way, but you know, you still appreciate it because you're getting what you want and not getting what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. And, you know, what we try to do at examine is we try to be really um, sensitive to conflicts of interest in the sense that um, there are certain types of like industry involvement that don't um, necessarily show up on a, a conflict of interest statement uh, at the bottom of a paper um, and we'll still point them out. So some good examples of this might be like, oh, like, well, we received the intervention for free from the supplement company. 
or um, you know, our researchers once worked for this company, or um, you know, th things kind of along those lines where it's easier to say that it's not a big deal and there's a good chance that it isn't, but it's also still worth pointing out. Um, there was actually a really good study, I guess it was probably like two or three years ago. I feel like I bring this up basically anytime this, this topic comes up is, uh, is this study that was conducted that basically looked at the top 10 nutrition journals and looked at how often industry involvement occurred, whether that was like the donation of a product or the direct funding of a product or payrolling the researchers or whatever, um, how often so not only how often was industry involvement present in these top 10 journals, but also how were the, how was the likelihood of a certain outcome affected by the presence of industry involvement? Mm. And so they basically did like what would just be like pretty normal ep epidemiology research, right? So they said it was something like, okay, about 16% of studies in these top 10 journals over the last, you know, however many years they looked at it um, were, and it was, you know, 16% of these have conflicts of interest. Um, and then if you look at the rate of findings that favor the intervention, the risk of having a finding that increase that, uh, favors the intervention is higher when industry involvement is present. So once again, right, like correlation is an equal causation, but you just say, Hey, like, unless I have some sort of special knowledge, I have to at least respect the fact that just the raw probability that a study is flattering is higher if it received funding from that organization. Um, so yeah, you know, conflicts of interest can matter a lot. Sometimes they're not a big deal at all. Um, and kind of like all, the best you can realistically do is just say like, well, I just wish you didn't have a conflict of interest, but because you don't, I have to do my best. Yeah. You know, or because well, you do, I have, you know, and, I, and to do my best. I don't know if this is true or not, but if, if a supplement company, for example, funds a study and it doesn't go their way. They don't have to publicly talk about it, I would assume, right? They don't have to put it on the website or anything because I can think of a few situations. This is why, and this is another reason what I've used your guys' website a lot for. For for example, um, I do take a stimulant-free pre-workout and it's because I drink Rockstars throughout the day. I have coffee in the morning. I'm like, uh, you know, by the time I actually lift at 3, 3.30 p.m., I probably won't want more caffeine, but I still do want citrulline and beta-alanine and betaine and these things that are actually beneficial. So, when I'm shopping for a pre-workout and now it's way easier to find things that don't have a proprietary blend. Usually like back in the day, everything was proprietary, but, um, I can look and go, okay, like, is this product good? Because it needs to have like, based on examine.com, I look and I know I need this much citrulline to be effective, this much betaine to be effective. Otherwise I'm not going to get it. Um, and it, it's cool to be able to do that. And that's where like, you know, the study that they're doing on the stem free versus not some like I'm excited for it. It's cool. I'm still going to take stem free because I know if I do, take too much caffeine and if it's later in the day it's gonna disturb my sleep and the you know net benefit is not there but point being is you can use this tool to be able to kind of figure that out um relating to the conflict of interest side of things like i use this exact same uh strategy or whatever tool because i remember seeing a like i really liked nootropics because the idea of a nootropic was i'm an entrepreneur it's like amazing this is like i can just take this pill and i'll be dialed in and focused right and uh I remember a study coming out in nootropics and it was done on, I want to say it was Navy SEALs, but it was done on somebody who was like a Navy SEALs, but they were like snipers and stuff like that and it showed zero effect. Like it was just, there was nothing to it. Like they didn't really get any benefit and I was kind of disappointed. Um, and I knew the brand, I'm not going to say the brand publicly, but at the very bottom, I saw the, the funding and like what was used and I saw the brand. And so then I could go, oh, well, number one, I'm not using that brand anymore. Number two, let me go look at the actual ingredients and then cross-check it with examine. And now I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to say nootropics are just not effective, period. Because now that I look at this specific supplement, I can see that they put eight different things that are all underdosed. So you're taking one pill with a bunch of stuff that is just very minimally dosed, which is very common, like multivitamins as well, right? And when I go to examine, I start looking through the research of like how much I actually need for it to be effective. I can chop out four of those ingredients and then I can increase the dose on the other four and actually potentially get an effect. Now I end up with all these different pills of like wholesale items, you know, and I'm taking them all. But um, that's another really useful tool when we're looking at the conflict of interest is like, look at it from a standpoint of who funded it. Is it just their product or is it the actual supplement, right? Um, and I think that's a, another really valuable thing with being able to see who funds it, where it, like what they're actually using, so on and so forth when looking at a yeah. study. Yeah, 100%. I, I completely, I think that's a really good point. Um, 
Yeah. And so the point that the first thing that you mentioned about, um, you know, researchers not necessarily having to publish their findings, like that's, you know, that's uh, contributes to what's called publication bias, right? So studies that report uh, null findings, so findings where nothing happens or sometimes negative findings, depending on the nature of the intervention and the outcomes and stuff. Um, studies with those characteristics are less likely to be published than ones that show strong effects. Um, and so what this means is that um, bodies of research can have a tendency to exaggerate the effects seen, um, especially if you're looking at uh, a new topic of research. So like, let's say there's some new herb that exists and no one's done research on it. And I go and I conduct some research on it. If I don't find any effect, I might have a hard time getting that published, right? Like, even if I, as the researcher, find it interesting, um, I might not be able to go to a journal and say, hey, look at this thing that doesn't do anything. It's like, yeah, like eating rocks doesn't do anything. Like we're not going to publish research on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so studies that, because of, this, because of this fact that like null findings aren't super compelling, they might not get covered in journals as often. But if someone shows up and they get what would ultimately turn out to be like a total anomaly, and they say, hey, like, you know, turns out, in our particular study, we had some sort of amazing effect. Um, that's more likely to be published. So what it means is that in the early stages of a body of research's development, um, the effects are going to be exaggerated. Because now if you have some really compelling thing, a really compelling reason to research a subject, and you start saying, hey, we actually are finding that it doesn't work, then there's a better chance that those things will get, um, will, will get studied. So it's always worth remembering that like, if something's kind of new, you're more likely to find super exciting research on it. And it's probably going to get less exciting over time. Mm -hmm. um, and then with respect to public publication bias, um, there's ways to test for this. Um, and so if you do uh, like a meta analysis or systematic review, um, according to like the Cochrane criteria, which is sort of a set of standards on how one should go about comprehensively collecting research and then writing about it and summarizing it um, statistically. Um, and methodologically, but point is, um, you can test for publication bias and many good meta analyses will, and they'll say, Hey, it looks like there's publication bias here. So, you know, remember that when you look at our results section and see all of these, you know, amazing effects. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think that, I think that one of, I guess, you know, another thing that I kind of heard you say that kind of strikes a chord with me is this idea of like, well, thinking about like, are we studying the supplement? Are we studying the blend? Who are the people? You know, who am I, right? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. if you see something and you say like, okay, well, here's a group of people that, you know, they might be extremely disciplined. Um, they might be very good at operating while extremely fatigued. Um, that, can, that can vary a lot, right? So just because this guy is better at shooting a rifle when he hasn't slept for 24 hours, it's like, well, yeah, it's because he's trained to do that. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, if you are trying to figure out whether you're going to be better at, you know, <laughs> whatever feels important to you, I guess. Um, like it's, it's not, it, it might be unlikely that, you know, like you, you, you might still stand to benefit even though this person did it. And similarly, you know, Oh, I can take DHEA and raise my testosterone. It's like, well, you know, most of that research is done in um, postmenopausal women. They don't have uh, levels of testosterone that are comparable to a 30 year old male or a 14 year old male, or even, you know, a 15 year old female. So when you're looking at the effects of this particular thing in this population, um, it's pretty likely that uh, you're not you're not going to see the same effects because you're a different person. And like, I mean that that's true with, I mean that's true with coffee, right? <laughs> different people experience coffee differently, and mm -hmm. some people like it, some people don't. It, those rules don't change. Um, they apply to, to anything that you would put in your body. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I I say that often because there's so much research that. When you read, especially if you just read the title, but if even if you read the results and it's compelling or it, it makes you consider a new way of coaching people through nutrition and fat loss or, or maintaining muscle during a diet, especially those kind of topics, um, things that come to mind, for example, are like metabolic adaptation or diet breaks and things like that. And then I really think of the context of who we're working with and, and you know, a lot of times these studies, number one, don't have highly trained, advanced individuals who are like recreational bodybuilders. And like right away from the gate, it's like that's a completely different category of people. And then what they also don't have is a middle-aged, 
overtrained, highly stressed mother who's also working a job trying to lose weight. That's a completely different variable. You know, when we say diet breaks, for example, don't cause any physiological changes, it's all psychological. In the context of the research done, I 100% agree, but there's times where in my practice, I'm like, I don't know if there's zero physiological. I can't say there is, but I can't say there isn't because the context of the individual is so different. So I'm glad you pointed out because that's actually a really huge point. Um, now, I, wanna, I do want to bring up a couple of questions specifically on um, supplements rather than research. And it's kind of just the, like the overarching theme of uh, like the hierarchy of importance with all this. And I don't know if you've heard of the muscle and strength pyramids, but it's been made really popular over the years for coaching. And it's essentially like, um, and I've often said there are situations where you kind of need to reorganize this because you might not be able to adhere to the base of the pyramid if you don't f- fix three layers up, right? So for example, it's basically like, Behavior, lifestyle change is encompassing everything, but then it goes calories, macros, micros, meal timing, and then supplements, right? And I have to tell people, if you don't have a meal timing strategy, you might not have a routine that allows you to adhere to your calories. Therefore, meal time is actually more important than calories because you're not even going to hit your calories if you don't have a routine for your meal timing. But in the like context of science, like we know meal timing is not nearly as important as overall intake. So like, it depends. But my question is, you know, that puts supplements at the very top, the least important, you guys are a supplement research company. So um, <laughs> that makes it sound like I'm saying you're the least important. And that's not what I'm saying. This is but terrible news. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, my, my, my curiosity with it is, is like, number one, do you agree with that? And if there's any situations where you don't, where, when would that be? And then ultimately, how do people determine if that's not the case for them? For example, I might be somebody that it is at the top, but there might be somebody else that fish oil or creatine, or some kind of supplement that is very specific to a specific negative biofeedback symptom, or medical concern, whatever, places supplements way before meal timing, micro stuff like that. So, overall theme of like the hierarchy, where supplements fall, and how to determine how that individually differs. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of alluded to this fact that like everything's very connected, um, and I think that's definitely true. Um, I want to be a little bit annoying and I want to contest the premise of the pyramid Mm -hmm. um, because I think, I think it's a totally useful framework and I think it's really good for sort of tamping down. Like people can get inappropriately excited about supplements. um, And it's definitely true that it's like, look, like I don't care how much, you know, uh, like whatever rhodiola rosea you take, like if you're not sleeping at night, you're not going to notice you're going to be tired. Um, And so I think the pyramid can be useful, but I think to me, the way that I prefer to think about it is in terms of just like relative statements, right? So um, for example, you say, okay, well, I want to manage fatigue. You say, okay, cool. So what factors can contribute to fatigue? So you think about like, okay, well, you've got the amount of exertion that you're engaging in on a daily basis, which can be normal life stuff. It can be, you know, uh, abnormal life stuff, you know, like I don't know if you're getting divorced or something. Um, it can be how often you're working out. It can, it can be how much you're sleeping. It can be what supplements you're taking. All of those things are part of a constellation of factors that feed into fatigue. So recognizing that certain things are going to influence that outcome more strongly. So for example, pulling all nighters, if you're doing that, like there is only so much fatigue management you're going to be able to realistically do and recognizing that supplements isn't a way out of that is important. Um, but there are going to be different times where you say like, well, what if the thing I'm interested in tra- on changing is strength? You kind of say like, okay, well, what kind of things can go into strength? Something like rest can still go into strength, but barring like extreme, extreme fatigue, um, strength, it, strength doesn't tend to be one of those things that, you know, fluctuates wildly. Like if you slept 30 minutes short, you know, you, you could probably still go hit a PR and like, you know, you'd be fine. Um, so in that case, you might say like, well, you know, taking something like creatine is actually like totally worth focusing on because either I've addressed the other things sufficiently, or maybe there are things that truly matter more. Um, sleep might've been a hard, a bad thing to start out with. I'm realizing because it's like sleep basically affects everything, (laughs) but, um, you know, another, another, you know, maybe another good way to think about it is like, if you're trying to manage your cholesterol, right. There's a bunch of supplements that have been studied for cholesterol management. And some of them seem to be very effective. Um, but if you're taking like a statin, you're taking a prescription medication to manage your cholesterol, it's more likely that that thing is going to have a big effect than the fact that you're eating a ton of garlic or whatever. Um, and so sort of remembering like, okay, well, 
I care about my cholesterol, provided that, you know, taking this safe, well-studied medication, um, relatively safe uh, for most people, you know, well-studied medication is an option. Like, do I really want to eat like, you know, 20 cloves of garlic every day? Like maybe I'd rather take, maybe I'd rather take the statin, you know? Um, so I think kind of, kind of trying to think about it as in, in, in my way, it, in some ways thinking about like, well, I've got things that I'm looking to focus on. I have goals of some sort and then saying, well, what constellation of things feed into that? And then to what degree does supplements fit in specifically? Um, I think that's important um, because unfortunately it's, it, it's important to look for ways to simplify it, but I think it's also important to recognize that sometimes there's no way to talk your way out of complexity and sort of appreciating that and recognizing that it's going to vary. Um, and it's going to vary based on what you're interested in, who you are, you know, what you want. Um, I think those things are important. I think another supplement specific thing to consider that is, that I think is important is this idea of like supplements exist in sort of this like big singular category, but the types of outcomes that we expect from supplements can really vary. Um, and I mean that not in the sense of like, oh, well, it could be for blood pressure or it could be for strength, but I mean, you've got basically things that are focused more on, um, like prevention or kind of like insurance policy type stuff. Um, and you know, this falls more into the category of like, it's kind of like brushing your teeth, right? So I don't take vitamin D every day because I expect to, you know, feel amazing. Um, I take vitamin D every day because I've seen a lot of research that shows that there's a lot of negative health outcomes associated with low vitamin D. Mm. And so I'm doing this as more of a, as a, as a kind of maintenance or like nutritional insurance policy standpoint, or like maybe I take a multivitamin, you know, I hypothetically take a multivitamin, not because I think it's going to make my nutrition perfect, but just because I think that the amount of selenium that I get on a daily basis is likely to vary enough where it would be nice to have something to help kind of fix it at a certain point. Um, and then you've got this other half of supplements, right. That are focused on very specific um, and generally like measurable things, right? So you take creatine, for example, because you want to get stronger as, as measured by something that you're doing, right? So I'm going to notice if my deadlift one rep max changes, um, or I am trying to manage my blood pressure and I can measure my blood pressure and know if what I'm, or at least know that, you know, my blood pressure was high and then I started taking this thing and now my blood pressure is lower. Um, and so I think also kind of remembering that like, sometimes we're really specific about what we want from supplements and sometimes we're not specific at all. Um, both of those are fine, but it's also going to change the way you think about these things because it's going to change what you can expect from those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that. I think it's uh, it's like avoidance and improvements. Right. And I think um, it's a good point too, because I think there's a lot of times where people say supplements aren't as important because vitamin D, for example, I mean, even if you look at the research, I'm sure you can find research that shows, you know, it's just, it, I mean, there's no extra benefit from supplementing it with then getting in the sun or eat, getting it from food. So, or maybe it's better if you get it from the sun and get it from food and research and people just read, it is better if this You're like, okay, well then why would I take it? And it's like, well, you would take it because in order for you to get enough sun and eat enough food with high vitamin D is going to be extremely hard for you to adhere to on a consistent basis that it's basically pointless. You're just going to be frustrated running on a hamster wheel, right? It's not going to really right. just take the cheap little tiny pill that's really easy, you know? So I think there's, there's periods of times where it's, it's really a matter of that. Or even like, well, you know, creatine can be found at steak. It's like, okay, well you gotta eat a lot of steak, you know? And then you got to <laughs> consider too, like for you specifically, do you really want to eat that much red meat? And I am a fan right. of red meat. I love eating red meat. So there's nothing against it, but you know, there's a lot of saturated fat, you know, there's research. So maybe you shouldn't get too much saturated fat. So you have all these different avenues that you can kind of go down. Um, and I think that's really important. I, I like the way you framed that of just, uh, I mean, really it, it boils down to the consistency thing in my mind. Like what can you consistently do? And also too, like you brought up sleep. So I look at it like this. Like if somebody comes to me and they're like, man, I really want to build muscle. Should I start taking creatine? I'm like, oh, how much are you sleeping? They're like four hours. I'm like, well, let's start there. But they're like, yeah. well, I'm a shift worker or I'm a firefighter or whatever it is. Like I, I, I there's two nights a week where I get out eight hours. The other days I can't. Should I still not take creatine? No, you should definitely take creatine because, I mean, you're kind of in a shitty situation that's not going to change. So me saying get more sleep or get a new job isn't helping you as a coach, but getting creatine might help you a little bit in the circumstances given. So I think there's yeah. there's things to consider with that as well. Um, so I like that. Yeah, there's there's one thing that I like to that I like to think about that we talk about and that comes up in public health a lot, which is this idea of 
It's called percent attributable risk. Um, and all it's really talking about is saying, you've got a bunch of things that feed into something else. So for example, like, you know, the, the, a really easy example would be something like lung cancer. So like you have a bunch of reasons you can get lung cancer and smoking is one of them. So what per- percent attributable risk is talking about is this idea of if I was to, to, to what degree does a single thing influence the overall thing? Mm. So if I was to cut out smoking in an entire population, so I, I took rates of smoking to zero, how would rates of lung cancer change? So something like smoking and lung cancer is a good example because you say, well, the percent attributable risk of um, smoking on lung cancer is super high. If I was able to get everyone in the world to stop smoking, the rate, rates of lung cancer would change a ton. But it's still worth noting that they're not going to go to zero. So everything kind of feeds in and saying like, well, um, if you're trying to prevent your risk of lung cancer and you've got all these things you can do and you're a smoker, well, then it's like, well, great. Like smoking is your best thing to target first because it's going to do the most. Uh, it's going to have the greatest effect overall, or it at least should. So similarly, you say like, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm doing my best with sleep. If you're doing your best with sleep, then don't target it because you can't change it any more than it already is. Mm-hmm. Or if you're not good with sleep and you want to take creatine, say, hey, well, targeting sleep is going to have a bigger overall effect. So like do the thing that's going to do the most for you. It, and it's just like, a, I don't know. I feel like you could basically just focus on that in life. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think so. So we're, we're running out on time. I could keep going on and on, especially if I started getting into a list of supplements with you, um, oh, yeah. which was part of what I was, I was considering, but we kind of got into the, the research stuff, which I'm glad we did. Cause I think that's more of a confusing topic for people to understand. And it's, it's important. Um, and we can easily plug, some of you guys stuff right now, because some of the uh, things I was going to ask about supplements were like, what are the most evidence-based uh, proven supplements to use like effectively for health or performance or whatever it may be. But I know you guys have all of that on your website, some of which is free, some of which is paid for. Um, and when it is paid for, it's really not expensive whatsoever. So um, I want to use this little bit of time to just tell everybody where they can find like all of examines content. So whether it's social media or it's podcast appearances, the website, obviously, and then also what the membership site is specifically um, and what you guys are coming out with. So they can kind of stay tuned for that, but then also go check out all the other stuff. Cause there's just, you guys have so much stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically in terms of where you can go to get this information, right? So you can go to examine.com. The fact that we have that URL is a miracle, by the way. Um, like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know how much examine has been valued at, but I bet that the URL is a big part of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so basically you can go to examine.com. Um, that's, where the bulk of our stuff is. We have uh, social media. Um, you can just search for examine or examine.com on Facebook and Instagram um, and, and you'll, you'll get those things. Um, so in terms of where you would go to get like a list of supplements, for example, um, we have what are called supplement guides. Um, and so those are, those are, those are a paid thing. Um, but we also just have a pure list of like supplement pages um, and they can be grouped by particular goals. Um, so if you're willing to kind of do a little bit of the churning through stuff yourself, then that's a good option. Um, in terms of the stuff that you get on the paid site, um, you have study summaries. So my thing, um, that's part of our paid site. The supplement guides are part of the paid site. You also get full access to what we call the human effect matrix, which is basically just a database that shows for a given, you know, within, within a certain intervention like creatine, you're going to have a bunch of outcomes that are studied, right? You have things like blood levels of creatine, or you might have power output. And you say for a given outcome, what is the magnitude and direction of the effect? So it has a large positive effect, or it has a small negative effect or whatever. So what is the direction and magnitude of the effect? And how consistent is that research and how many studies have been doing on it? So you could walk away making a statement like, you know, looking at 100 studies, creatine has a strong positive output uh, effect on power output. And that, the, that finding tends to be very consistent in the research. Um, so I think that's one thing that people tend to really appreciate. And it's actually one of the things that's getting the biggest overhaul in our, in the new version of our site. Um, and so in terms of the new version of the site, uh, like I said, in the beginning, some of it is um, internal and it's basically just talking about how we store information, which is something that will make the quality of life for our users easier, but isn't necessarily the most thrilling to talk about. Um, 
But what you can expect to get from our new site is um, much more highly organized information, um, more rapid updates on topics. Um, so we have like a completely new system about how we're pulling research in and analyzing it and getting it onto our pages and getting it into study summaries. So the tempo with which you'll be able to keep up with research is going to be much higher. Um, we're also doing a lot of work framing the site around specific health uh, conditions and outcomes. So for example, if you have hypertension or you have asthma or you have multiple sclerosis, you can go to our site and get really good, very specific research. We can say, here's all the nutrition research we've been able to find on this particular health outcome. And we also focus on um, sort of like non-illness related stuff. So we could say, hey, um, you want to get super strong. So we have a bunch of research related to exercise and here's everything that we could find about power output specifically or muscle hypertrophy specifically. Um, so yeah, basically it's a lot of it is based is forming, um, forming the site around what people want and uh, in, in terms of outcomes and then showing people supplements that are related to those outcomes, as opposed to just forcing people to say like, okay, well, here's, you know, here's thousands of different supplements and you're going to have to click on every page to figure out what it does and for whom and, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, so I think those are kind of the most noteworthy things. And then, um, so I guess right here, I, you can edit this part out, but uh, we could also get a discount code for your listeners if you're interested. Yeah. Um, do you want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. But yeah, I think uh, it's cool that you guys are updating a lot of the, uh, it sounds like user experience stuff. Cause I mean, not that I see a problem with it. Cause honestly your website's really easy to navigate as is, but the fact that you guys are updating all these things to make it even more user-friendly, I think is so cool. And it's just so helpful to kind of keep skimming through. And, um, for the people listening, like I said, it's very easy as is there's a, like, if you, the way I've used it a lot too, is you can literally, I'll Google search this all the time. I will Google search, examine caffeine, examine yeah. fish oil, <laughs> examine, you know, alpha GPC, whatever I want to look into. And it's always the first link. It's always right there. And it's always so easy to go through. So um, highly suggest you guys go check that out. We'll link all of this in the description of the podcast, the, the membership site, uh, how to get the coupon code, the um, where to find the guides. The guides are so unbelievably comprehensive. That was one of the things I was like blown away by um, when I started being, uh, and for people listening, I, I was able to beta test some of the stuff in here before the, like the new membership site went live recently. Um, and it, it was just like, that was one of the first things that I started going through and was just shocked at how much depth and how many different ones and the way that like you go to the guides and then there's categories of guides. It's like, it's not just like, Hey, check out our health guides. It's like, check out our health guides. And then it's like blood pressure, cholesterol, cardiovascular, um, joint health. Like there's just so many categories and then it's like fat loss, muscle growth, strength, power. Um, it's unbelievable. So highly recommend you guys go check out their stuff. Their content is amazing. The free stuff, the paid stuff is even better. We'll link all that in the description of this podcast. Um, Nick, man, we'll, we'll have to do this again where I can just like pick your brain on a list of random supplements it would be really cool. But, um, in general, dude, I really appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with us today. Yeah. 100% man. Thanks for having me. I'm always happy to chat. Barbara.